Hey, I, I wonder if you've ever seen a picture like this one um, on the side screens here. This uh, is a picture from a book called Topsies and Turvies by Peter Newell. And there's a poem that goes with this picture. It goes like this. I've hooked a fish, cried Hasty Hugh. I'll land him too now, see. He gave a fling and found the fish was hanging in a tree. Can you put that second one up there? Now, the cool thing about this, uh, Nate, if you can swing those back and forth again. The cool thing about this picture is it's the same picture, but one of them's upside down. And it's amazing. What I want you to see about this is how amazing it is, how our perspective changes when something is turned upside down. How we can view a picture or view the world in a completely different way just by looking at it from a different perspective. And so I want to talk about the title of our message this morning is called The Upside Down Kingdom. And if you're a guest or visitor here, I promise it won't be very long because we've got to make room for baptisms. But if you have your Bibles, turn them to Acts 17, verse 6. Acts 17, verse 6. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's page 772 in this Bible. What I want to tell you this morning is that the book of Acts is a history book. Uh, it's different as, as you read through the New Testament. You'll see that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all stories. They're called the Gospels. They're stories about the life of Jesus. But Acts is written by a man named Luke who actually wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he says that he interviewed eyewitnesses to the events that happened. And so Luke wasn't around for a lot of the things he writes about, but he interviewed the people that played a key role in a lot of the events in the, church of, or in the book of Acts. And Acts begins after Jesus' death. And resurrection. Acts begins um, as Jesus is walking the earth. It starts almost with his ascension into heaven in the very first few verses, uh, and then continues with the story of how the very first church got built. It talks about men and women who were kind of cowardice even while they walked with Jesus, but they became courageous in their faith, and they were bold about spreading the gospel to places uh, throughout the world and living out their faith. Um, sharing the good news of Jesus. And, and, and all this talking about Jesus was causing some trouble among the rulers in Jerusalem. So much trouble that the Jewish leaders in one province, a province known as Thessalonica, called the believers, this is in Acts 17, 6, these men who have caused trouble all over the world. Trouble all over the world. But what I want you to see is in the King James Version, it actually says, these who have turned the world upside down. Their primary mission in life was to share the good news of Jesus with others. And as a result, the church was growing, but the outsiders looked at it and said the world was being turned upside down. People were coming to Christ and being baptized. And not only did these churches leave others to Christ, but they uh, discipled these new believers. They grew them in their faith, and then they released them to go out and make disciples of others. We see that in the, in the middle books of Acts. What happens is this church is all gathered around in Jerusalem, and then some persecution happens. And, and as a result, the, the believers scatter, and they go out, and they go out and share their faith with others. And they go to these places where they're not used to hearing the gospel. And as a result, they're called people who are turning the world upside down. Don't you love it? Don't you love that? I mean, think about this. As a church, Genesis Church, do we want to be known as a church that meets here on Sunday morning or as a church that is turning the world upside down? I mean, we look at our world and we look at some of the things that are going on. I and mean, you, you can look at persecution in other countries. You can look at politics here in the U.S. You can look at all kinds of things that are happening all over the world. And you can say, I don't like that. And I'm going to complain about it. Or you can say, I don't like that, and I want to turn the world upside down. 
You know, do you want to be known as a part of a church that's meeting on Sunday or that's turning the world upside down? How about you personally? Let me ask you this way. On a personal front, do you want to live a normal, safe, comfortable life? Or do you want to live a courageous, daring, faith-filled, intentional life? The kind of life that turns the world upside down. Well, the very reason the men and women in Acts were busy turning the world upside down is that Jesus was their model for life and ministry. And Jesus, by his nature, was a man who turned the world upside down. He lived an upside down kind of life. He was responsible for these men and women who were going throughout these provinces and changing the way the world looked at hope and changing the way the world believed and giving uh, hope for redemption to a lost world. And, and, And the reason that we want to live an upside down life is that Jesus is our model for life and ministry. He's the one we want to model our church after. You see, Jesus came to earth with a strategy. His strategy that turned the world upside down was making disciples. And, and for many of you this morning, this will be review, but as we thought about baptisms and what it means to, to turn your life over and to declare publicly that I want to give my life to Jesus, we thought it'd be a great morning to remind us of why we do what we do. One of the greatest ways to follow Jesus's pattern for making disciples, the, the pattern that he gave us through his life on earth, is through four challenges that he issued. And we often look at these as the four chairs. And uh, so many of you have heard this. This will be review. But for those of you who are new, this will give you a little insight as to how our church looks at making disciples. And these four challenges that Jesus issued throughout his life to his disciples were, and these are in your notes, if you have the, the message notes, come and see, follow me, fish for people, and go and bear fruit. And with these challenges, Jesus issued us the task of making disciples. Now, we like to explain uh, that by looking through these four chairs. Um, And so let's just look at what each of these four chairs mean uh, very quickly. First of all, chair number one, John uh, 139. uh, Jesus has um, been baptized. He uh, goes into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days by Satan. He comes out of the wilderness, runs into John the Baptist who had baptized him. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't follow me, follow him. And some of John's disciples actually listened. And they wanted to go see what this Jesus is all about. And so the very first time we hear Jesus issue this in John 139, he's talking to Andrew and John. And he, he, uh, he says, come and see. And, and uh, we would call chair one people a uh, seeker. A chair one person is a seeker. A chair one person is uh, someone who's interested in spiritual things, but they're not yet following Jesus. That's what Andrew and John were. Andrew and John were interested in spiritual things. We know that because they were following John the Baptist, Uh, but they were not yet a follower of Jesus. And so when they asked Jesus a question, Jesus said, come and see. And that's what many of us, many of us have chair one people in our life. We have people who are interested in spiritual things, but they're not yet following Jesus. Now, what do chair one people need from us? Chair one people uh, 2,000 years ago needed the same thing uh, that chair one people need now. They need uh, someone to give them hope. They need someone who will uh, teach them about Jesus. They need someone in their life who is more spiritually mature than they are, that that we can get to know them and spend time with them. That's what it said uh, Jesus did with his first people. He said, come and see. And then he spent the day with them. Uh, in the wilderness or out in the wilderness. So we need to get to know them. We need to listen to them. We need to allow them to ask questions. We need to help them. We don't have to pretend we know all the answers to the questions they have. But most importantly, we need to tell them about Jesus. So when Jesus pulled John and Andrew into the wilderness, we don't know exactly what they talked about. It's not captured for us in scripture. But we do know that when they came out after 
a few hours with Jesus, they went and told all their friends and their brothers, come, we have found the Messiah. So there was something to what Jesus said to them. And that's what we want to see happen too. We want to see people make that move from chair one, a seeker, into chair two. This is a big deal. Because to get from chair one to chair two, you've got to go through the cross. All right, to get from chair one to chair two, this is where you become uh, not necessarily, not just a seeker, but you become a follower of Jesus. Chair two is a follower. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to celebrate uh, 27 people, uh, six in this service today that you'll get to see, who have moved from chair one to chair two. They're going to be baptized as a proclamation of saying, hey, I want to now with the rest of my life, I want to follow Jesus. And they're not saying they're perfect, and they're not saying that things, bad things aren't going to happen to them, and they're not saying that, that uh, they're never going to sin again, but they're saying, I want to let everybody know that I'm, I'm no longer a seeker, I'm now a follower. Chair two person is a follower. The challenge that's issued to chair two people, Jesus issued in John one forty three, is follow me. And so he issued uh, to the chair one people, he said, follow me, and anybody who takes that step and moves into chair two is now a follower of Jesus. We see this with Philip first. Um, Philip was one of John's disciples as well. I think we can pretty much assume that. And when Philip first met Jesus, he could, you could say he was a seeker. And Jesus invited him to come and see. And then when the time was right, he issued the second challenge to follow me. And Philip became a follower of Jesus. This is one way that Jesus turned the world upside down. And think about this. Jesus as a rabbi, in those days, it would have been uh, pretty common for Jewish boys to know, have memorized the first five books of the Bible, what we, uh, what we call the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, by the time they were 13. And they would have memorized scriptures and then they would have spent their early life looking for a rabbi to follow. And they would have found someone with whom they related to their teachings and then they would have followed this rabbi and after a certain time, the rabbi would pick and choose from among the people that had already decided to follow him which ones were going to be his disciples. But Jesus turned that upside down. These men, uh, some of the early disciples were men that were rejected probably by rabbis. They were um, having their own careers. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were uh, carpenters and other things. And Jesus chose them. They didn't choose Jesus. Jesus reached out and chose them. And he said, you have what it takes. I want you to follow me. You've got this. You can handle this. This is one way that Jesus turned the world upside down. He looks at somebody like Philip and he says, come on and follow me. Chair two marks the moment where somebody has put their trust in Christ and they become a follower of Jesus. So chair one is a seeker, chair two is a follower. Now, I want to understand this is a big deal. This is eternity, all right? You get that? This is where somebody goes to becoming a follower of Jesus. Their eternity is with Christ. Their eternity is with God. The problem is that a lot of churches and even a lot of believers stop here. Like when we get somebody across the finish line... Our job is done. But that's not the model that Jesus gave us. The model that Jesus gave us was not just to, to uh, convert these men from seekers to followers, but to build them into strong believers and even make them into chair three and chair four people, which we'll talk about. And so uh, I, I love the stories when I hear somebody has moved from chair one to chair two, whether it happens here on Sunday morning or a lot of times it happens in your connection groups. And I'll only find out about it because a group leader will come to me and say, hey, did you know so-and-so? I just recently decided to follow Jesus. I'll say, no, I had no idea. But I love to hear those stories. And, and uh, I celebrate those stories. Man, we talk about those in our staff meetings, in our uh, check-ins every week. We, we tell those stories of people who have made that huge decision to become a chair two follower. And, and in a few minutes when we celebrate that, I hope you'll celebrate with us in a big way. Chair two is all about learning the basics. It's learning your identity in Christ. It's learning how to study scripture. It's learning how to pray. 
And, and a lot of us uh, don't always get to learn this. So I'm going to talk to you in a minute about something that we're doing to remedy that situation. And so while chair two is all about learning those basics, once that happens, once a person begins to grow, we see Jesus offers them another challenge. And the challenge is to move from chair two to chair three. What happened was Jesus spent a significant amount of time investing in a few. He invested in a few men. Uh, and we think that the time from, that most of them spent in chair two was somewhere between 18 and 24 months. Uh, almost two years before they accepted the third challenge. And the third challenge that Jesus issued in Matthew 4.19 was to fish for people. It's to fish for people. And so if chair two is all about growing in our faith, chair three is all about helping other people grow in their faith. And so when you make that move from chair two to chair three, your priorities change. You become less self-focused about your own personal faith and your own personal growth, and you become more focused on helping others grow. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And a lot of times you maybe have been taught that this is uh, something Jesus ran into this fisherman on the shore and he issued that challenge and the fisherman was so overwhelmed by Jesus's character and charisma that he just dropped his nets and left. But that's not how it happened. Peter has spent significant time with Jesus. Like I said, maybe as much as two years, at least 18 months. And he started in chair one and he quickly moved to chair two, but then it took some time to move to chair three. But eventually Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Peter, you've got so much to offer. You, you don't have to stay here. You can help others grow in their faith too. Follow me and I'll, I'll, I'll teach you to fish for people. And there's a chance that Peter knew that this was coming and that he'd been back and he'd talked to his wife. We know that Peter was married. They talked to his wife and he talked to his family and said, hey, this is going to mean turning my whole life around. This is going to mean leaving my fishing business and, and going out and doing mission trips. Uh, this is going to mean uh, changing our priorities so that our money's not going to be spent on us, but our money's going to be spent on investing in the kingdom. And so this is a big move from chair two to chair three. Now, this is a huge move because this is eternity. But in some ways, this is almost a harder move because it means turning your life upside down and making your priorities no longer about me, but about other people. God's desire is that every follower of Jesus would move into chair three. And what we call chair three is a kingdom worker. Chair three is a kingdom worker. It's a person whose focus has shifted from growing their faith to helping others grow in their faith. It's someone who is maybe still learning uh, to follow Jesus, but definitely is focused on learning to help others or helping others learn to follow Jesus as well. It's somebody who's ready to turn the world upside down. And so God's desire is that every one of us would make that leap. And that includes you, wherever you are today. If you're in chair two, God's desire is that you would follow him to fish for people. If you're in chair one, God's desire is that you would make that decision to follow Jesus and that you would grow in your faith and that you would learn how to pray and that you would uh, learn about your identity in Christ, but then you would eventually make that move to help others do the same. This was the strategy that Jesus had for making disciples. And so for, uh, we want to help you with that. And so uh, what, what we've seen so many times is we've seen people that are here and they accept Christ, they decide to follow Jesus and they're baptized even. But then three, six, nine months later, they, we, don't, we don't know them anymore. We don't see them anymore. They, they burn out. They don't know um, what to do with that faith. It's like Jesus, he talked about uh, seed at one point, And he said, there's some seed that's uh, cast in rocky soil. And it grows up fast. And we see that a lot of times when people are baptized. But then when the sun and the wind came, it withers. And so we want to help people not to wither. And so we're starting just in two weeks on May the 15th. We're starting a brand new, we're doing a brand new thing. Uh, it's for followers of Jesus who are new or who are growing followers, people who are in chair two. It's for people who are being baptized today. I would love for you to take this for adults who are being baptized today. 
and it starts May 15th. We are starting a following Jesus group. It will be at the, during the 1115 service in the living room. And uh, you'll hear more about this next week. We don't have anything to sign up for yet, but I want you to be thinking about and praying about if that's for you. So if you're sitting in chair two and you think, I want to know more about this Jesus that I've decided to follow. I want to learn about his life. I hope that you'll sign up for that following Jesus group. But as great as chair three is, chair three is not the end. After Jesus trained his followers to be kingdom workers, uh, he issued them one more challenge. It's when he was near the end of his life, He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, where he will then be arrested. And uh, he's walking with the disciples, and he starts talking about a vineyard. And he starts talking about a vine, and how he is the true vine, and his father is the gardener. And he starts talking about how his father prunes, uh, cuts off branches that don't bear fruit, and they, he prunes branches that bear fruit so they can bear more fruit. And then he issues them this challenge in John fifteen eight. He says, go bear fruit. In fact, in John 15, 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is basically saying, I've taught you everything I know now. I've given you everything the Father has given to me. I've reproduced myself in you. Now go bear fruit. Go and reproduce yourself in others. You are ready to go make disciples. And so a chair four person is what we call a disciple maker. If a chair two person is growing... And a chair three person is helping others grow. A chair four person is all about reproducing this entire process in other people. It's where people start dreaming about reaching their entire school or their entire neighborhood or their entire workplace for Jesus. This is where it really gets interesting. All right, this is where uh, the big challenge is um, that you can't really call yourself a disciple maker until you've made a disciple who's made a disciple. So you're reproducing this whole process. Does that make sense? The goal is to reproduce this entire process as disciples of Jesus. But you know, as Jesus was leaving this world, he turned it upside down one more time. And he said, you know, I'm leaving you with everything I need. It's no longer me who will tell people about you or who will tell people about God. It's, it's you who will tell people about God. I mean, this is a big deal for a rabbi, if you think about that, because the rabbi is there to teach, and a lot of the rabbis at the time felt like they had the knowledge, and it was their job to spread the knowledge. And Jesus said, you know what? You're ready. You've got everything you need. And I think if Jesus were here today, for many of you in this room, he would say, you know what? You're ready. I've taught you everything my father taught me. I've given you everything I need. Now go and bear fruit. Go into your workplace and tell people about Jesus. Go into your neighborhood. Go into your school and let people know that you are following Jesus and that it is to their best interest that they will follow Jesus too. I mean, if you think about, think about this, I used this analogy last time we talked this, but I think this is so good. If you think about an apple seed, and if you eat an apple today, you'll probably see a seed in there. And, and if you think about an apple seed, an apple seed has everything inside it to reproduce what? An apple tree, right? Which could reproduce more apples, which could produce more apple trees. One apple seed has all of the DNA to reproduce an entire orchard full of apples. And in many of you, you have all the DNA. You have everything you need. And I think if Jesus were here, he would say, you've got everything you need to go out and make an entire office full, an entire factory full, an entire neighborhood full of disciples. He's just waiting for you to respond to these challenges. Follow me. Fish for people. Go and bear fruit. Think about this. 
Jesus turned the world upside down for you. Not, not only by providing us an example of how to make disciples, but more importantly, through the cross. Christ died for you. He, he gave his life for you. As scriptures say, by his wounds, we are healed. We are forgiven. Think about this. We are a people who have declared independence from our parents. Ever thought about that? We had this heavenly father who created us and loves us so much. And every one of us, every one of us at some point have decided to walk away from that. We've walked away from the safety and security of a good home. But once more, Jesus turned the world upside down by not waiting for you to come back to him, but by pursuing you, by chasing you. He said, I will chase you all the way to the cross if I have to. Do you ever think about this? Jesus never committed any sin. He never committed any sin at all. But on the cross, God treated him like he had committed every sin that has ever been, for, that has ever been uh, committed, past, present, and future. In fact, I heard one pastor say it like this. And I love this. He said that God treated Jesus on the cross like he lived your life so that he could treat you like you'd lived Jesus' life. Christ went to the cross bearing every sin that I have ever committed and will ever commit and that you have ever committed and will ever commit. And it's because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we are even able to move from chair one to chair two or into the family of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Think about that. We left our parents and they pursued us back to adoption. You matter to God. He made a way through Jesus for you to be a part of his family. And in just a moment, as we baptize uh, six of our brothers and sisters, we're going to celebrate the fact that they have made that decision to accept that invitation back into the family of God. Baptism is a symbol of not only of uh, what Christ did for us, as, or it's a symbol of what Christ did for us as we are buried in our sins, but then raised to life uh, in Jesus. Not only are those being baptized made it known that they are trusting Jesus, they are made it known that they are ready to follow Jesus and that they know that Jesus makes them brand new, that they are no longer a slave to the sin that held them captive, but they want to be a child of God. Maybe you're here and you're ready to make that move too. I want to talk to you after the service. We would love to. The tub's ready. It's ready to go. Let's baptize more today. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for these six uh, men, women, girls uh, that have decided to make you the center of their life and they want to tell all their friends about that. And Lord, as we just think about what you've done for us on the cross, I'm a little overwhelmed that you took all of my sin and all the sin of everybody in this room and you nailed it to the cross so that we don't have to worry about it anymore. We don't have to bear the responsibility for that anymore. It is paid for. It is finished. And God, I want to celebrate that in a huge way uh, through these six that are coming forward now. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.